Greetings, this is James Gillen with As You Wish Talk Radio, broadcasting live from the East City Ranch. It's good to be back on the air. As most of you know, I've been gone. I uh, did a lecture in Sedona, Arizona, sponsored by Yield Alien Shop. And uh, it was an awesome experience, uh, quite a challenging experience. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was a, a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, it was it was quite amazing to go to Sedona and turn the TV set on and see my face plastered all over Sedona because they had ongoing ads on the Sedona channel for the event. And, uh, you know, I walked in the uh, Yield Alien Shop and lo and behold, there was a big video screen with, again, playing contact has begun with all my books and videos. So it's uh, it's really nice to see that kind of support and, and to hang out you know, with the group there. They're such wonderful people. I highly recommend stopping in, saying hi, uh, give uh, Jennifer and Doug a big hug and everybody else there. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's quite an event. A uh, lot of, met a lot of new people and, and had some amazing experiences, uh, some of which were the Skywatch after, afterwards where we saw all kinds of UFOs and the, the lot where we were was full of orbs. But uh, <clears throat> I also had an experience there, uh, you know, a wonderful place along the river where we sat and, and hooked up with some beautiful energy. And uh, the most bizarre thing was I, I was at a friend of mine's place and uh, sitting in her backyard and saw this brilliant green light move right over our heads very fast and hit Bell Rock and go right into it. Uh, that was quite amazing because it was just the intensity of that light. And then I saw this pulsing energy it's like step down about three levels right over my head at the same time. And it was just crazy, you know, just watching some just crazy events happen there. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, fun stuff anyway. But uh, that was a great trip. But it's good to be back. I've been on the road quite a bit. I keep missing my show due to being on the road. And uh, now I'm back and... Uh, Good to be back on the air with everybody, and I hope uh, somebody missed me out there. You never know. But uh, anyway, it's been a great show. I've got another show on. I've got uh, Stephen Sandoni on, who uh, is an expert on some of the ancient lore about Shasta and the expeditions up there and, and some, some contacts that were made and, and uh, amazing discoveries uh, concerning some of the beings that actually live underneath and have been there for quite some time. But uh, we can just go more into all this. But before I do, I want to uh, uh, welcome Stephen Sandoni on the show. Are you with us, Stephen? Yes, I'm here, James. Thank you for having me tonight. I appreciate you having me on board tonight. Oh, great to have you on the show. You know, Shasta has always been a uh, a major, oh, kind of like a heart-opening place for me. I always go there when I need some some downtime to really connect and be by myself and uh Used to go to Lake Siskiyou a long time ago. It's gotten a little overdeveloped right now, but uh, had some amazing experiences there and also up on the mountain. But I understand you've had some pretty uh, incredible experiences up there, and just with the research of some of the the past history of, of Shasta. Well, yes, I have, and I've experienced some of those places you mentioned, Lake Siskiyou. I was there a couple of days ago, Mount Shasta. I've been up uh, on the mountain, and we've done morning meditations and uh as you're coming down I-5, as you know, from Dunsmuir, you can see the heart. 
the shape of a heart on the mountain itself, and it's a sight to behold, and the energy here is very eclectic, electric, and uh, it, uh, it's an amazing energy, so it's a great place to be, yes. Mm -hmm. Now, can you tell us uh, some of the, the past uh, history that you've uncovered concerning Shasta and some of the beings that uh, dwell underneath it, you might say? Well, I'd like to start first by uh, <clears throat> giving you a little segue into how this all came about, and then I'll, be sh I'll share everything with you. But in late 2007, in December, I finished writing a screenplay. It was a comedy screenplay, and at the time I was looking for a challenge, and I spent a couple hours on the Internet searching for interesting stories to write about. And as fate would have it, I stumbled upon The Legend of J.C. Brown. Uh, mm -hmm. After reading the short excerpt from the book, it was written by an author by the name of Emily A. Frank, uh, entitled Mount Shasta, California's Mystic Mountain. I became fascinated, fascinated by it. For anyone who doesn't know about the legend, I'll briefly tell you, uh, what I read briefly was about a man who shows up in 1934 at the late age of about 67 and appears in the office of the editor of the Stockton Record newspaper in California, and he spins a tale about a lost treasure he found 30 years earlier while working and employed as a geologist with the Lord Cowdery Mining Company of England. So at this time, James, he uh, gets the Stockton Record editor excited, and uh, they end up contacting 80 residents, including a newspaper editor, a muse museum curator, a retired printer, several scientists, and other solid citizens, and they form a group and they planned for six weeks to investigate the tunnel with J.C. Brown. The interesting th part about this story is after the six weeks, uh, they designated a date of June 19th uh, at 1 p.m. that 80 Stockton citizens would, were, were to wait for J.C. Brown to appear. Well, at 1 o'clock on June 19th, J.C. Brown never appeared. So the people waited overnight. They had an overnight vigil, and they called the police in, in the morning. The Stockton police were called in did their investigation, but no trace of the man was found. He just completely disappeared. But the 80 people, James, who waited in vain for him that June day, they believed the authenticity of his story, and they believed in the existence of a vast tunnel in Mount Shasta filled with golden artifacts. So that's really the gist of what I initially read, and I became, as I said, fascinated by this little piece of information. Mm-hmm. And so I guess you further uh, did a lot more research, and, and did you do a couple expeditions up there to try to find this, this yes, tunnel? Yes, I did. Uh, but the first thing I did was I wrote down the clues on the Internet, and I came up with about five clues, and I decided that I was going to go to the New York Public Library and do my own investigation to see if I could solve this 73-year-old mystery surrounding the man only known as J.C. Brown. So that was the first thing that I did. Uh, in late December 2007 to see if I could, you know, find this man. So I, I began by just writing down the clues as I mentioned, and uh, there was five clues that, that I first came up with. And the first one was, James, was there a man named J.C. Brown? So that was really the most important part because uh, the legend was of J.C. Brown. But I'm thinking in my head, well, you know, if, if there was a J.C. Brown, then this wouldn't be a legend today. So in my mind, I'm saying, well, it could go either way. One of the second things I asked myself was, did a company doing business under the name the Lord Cowdery Mining Company of England really exist? You know, was there a company at all? And if there was a company named the Lord Cowdery Mining Company of England, could it be named after its founder? So these are some of the questions. And I asked myself, because one of the fourth questions I had was, 
would I be able to find records for geologists because the man who, who showed up in 1934 and claimed he was J.C. Brown said he was a geologist or civil engineer. So the fourth question was I was asking was, would the man be a geologist? Would I actually find geologists? And the last thing was, and was most important, would I find a man who was the right age who would map, match that description of being in his late 60s or early 70s as per the, the article that I read on the Internet uh, in the book uh, California's Mystic Mountain uh, of Mount Shasta by uh, author Emily A. Frank. So those are the first five pieces of business that to me were intriguing because between you and I, and I've told this many, many times before, but I'll tell your audience here, is that at first I figured that I was looking for a con man, that he must have mm -hmm. taken money from people. And I was looking to write possibly a movie like Maverick or something, not having any idea that you know these five clues would be the key to going from a comedy mentality to a uh, you know a search and find investigative reporter uh, mission and uh, finding a tunnel that finally led to a back entrance to Telos. Mm -hmm. And so, what did you find out? I guess this man did exist. Well, yeah. Well, one of the first questions, because I began my research right at the beginning in January, right after Christmas there, and the first question was, was there a man named J.C. Brown? And the answer was no. I was unable to find anyone in the United States who matched that description. So one down, four to go, I guess. Second question I asked was, did the Lord Cowjay Mining Company exist? Oddly enough, I Googled the name, and yes, I was able to find a record of the Lord Cowjay Mining Company. The next mm -hmm. thing I did was, okay, well, the company does exist. Was there a man named uh, Lord Cowjay himself? Well, a little digging. It was a Lord Cowdray. A little more digging. Was Lord Cowdray a geologist, like the man in the legend claimed? Well, another bullseye. Yes, Sir Lord Cowdray was also a geologist. The one question that that was stood in my mind was, was Lord Cowdray still alive in 1934 when the man who walked into the uh, editor's office in the Stockton Record of 1934, uh, would, would uh, Sir Lord Cowdray have been alive in 1934? Would he be you know, in fact, uh, the man J.C. Brown. Well, it turned out he passed away in 1927. So there was a dead end there. So the one thing that really stuck in my mind, I went back to reading the actual legend that I had, and the one thing, because I kept reading line by line, the one thing that kept coming out at me was the man claimed that he worked for the Lord Cowdrey Mining Company as a geologist for all his life employed with one company. So I said, well, I'm, if I'm not looking for the owner, I must be looking for the right-hand man or I've got to be looking for a lieutenant. So I then, you know, channeled my energy in that direction. And lo and behold, James, the answer was yes. The man that I did find was a lieutenant. Mm -hmm. And so what, uh, what happened after that? Where did you go after you, you know, established this guy did exist and the mining company did, did exist? Well, the next thing I did was I had to figure out, <clears throat> you know, uh, his, I had to track the man to figure out uh, how this, in fact, was done. Because what I learned was that uh, the man's real name was John Benjamin Body. He was not J.C. Brown, as the legend had claimed, and that's why it remained a legend. So I had to figure out, okay, I've got the man, the right age, who fits the right descriptions, is employed for the Lord Cowdery Mining Company his whole life. I've now got his... Uh, his memoirs as well, so I had some information. So the, 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 the real question was, 
where did the man live? Where was he domiciled all this time to make this, you know, stay a legend? Well, I learned that he lived in Mexico the whole time. So I then had to look at border crossings. I was like, well, we got border crossings through Mexico, you know, uh, Canada, and coming through uh, on the West Coast, and also uh, through Cuba, through the United States, all ports of entry. So I looked at all the ports of entry and uh, was fortunate to find that in 1904 that Sir Wheaton and Pearson, who was really Lord Cowdray, because he was originally born Sir Wheaton and Pearson, but then later was knighted and given the title of Sir Lord Cowdray. And once I had that figured out, I, when I checked the border crossings in 1904, just as J.C. Brown had claimed when he appeared in the, the editor's office in the Stockton Record, in a 1904 border crossing, there was Lord Sir Wheatman Pearson crossing in from Laredo, Texas border with John Benjamin Body and two other men coming through on the, the Mexico National Railway Steamship Company from Veracruz in through Laredo, Texas into the United States. So I was able to verify that that first date was, was, was correct as per the legend of J.C. Brown when he went into the office of the Stockton Record. Mm-hmm. So, so now you've established the, the guy's true identity, and where'd you take it from there? Well, at that point, I looked at the legend a little further, and he said that in his second time coming up to uh, Mount Shasta is when he discovered the tunnel. Because he said, in the legend, he said he didn't discover it on the first time up there. So upon further investigation, I continued looking at the border crossings, and I saw in 1907... J.B. Body did come back over the border on the same, same ship's, uh, company, steamship company, but this time he brought with him three civil engineers that were employed with the Lord Cowdray Mining Company. And those three men himself and his personal valet all came over in 1907 and then went up to Shasta, and they were the ones who unearthed the backdoor tunnel to Telos. Mm-hmm. And now how did they find this backdoor tunnel? Well, this is what I was wrestling with because after looking at all the border crossings, because I was able to determine that on the first crossing, J.B. Body went in with uh, his boss, Sir, Sir Wheatman Pearson, W.E. Sayer, and Robert Adams. And then once determining that on the second time in, as per the legend, he went in with three en- engineers, which I mentioned, C.M. Yeomans, John McLaughlin, Fred Kleisner, and his personal valet, John Gil Martin. One thing that I saw next was was that on the next border crossing in 1910, J.B. Body lied about ever being in the United States. So here I, I noticed that you know there is definitely you know a red flag there. So I had to ask myself at that point, how how did he come in? Why did he come in through Laredo? And how did they 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 travel up to uh, Mount Shasta? And what was the purpose and reason for coming up to Shasta? Because these men did not live in the United States. And they, weren't, and they weren't prospecting in the area. So I started to think this might happen by accident. And I started to research the area up around Mount Shasta. And at that point, I was led to uh, something on the Internet regarding the Shasta Springs Resort. Now, the Shasta Springs Resort uh, in the early 1900s was known for the greatest water in the world, Dunsmere Water, and people would come from all over the world to Mount Shasta, it was one of the uh, the elite places to go to in the world for the richest people in the world, and they would come up there and spend their time, and they would drink the mineral water, they would walk the grounds, and they would 
you know, partake in the, uh, the you know, the, the freshness of the area because this was supposed to be, uh, you know, sacred water, so to speak. So when I was able to, to determine that they came up there to enjoy themselves, I found a map that showed me the property, and I found an area that I believe that they were walking either near the grounds or on the grounds where they came across this unusual basalt rock formation and decided that at a later date they would come back to dig it out. So when I determined this piece of information, I decided that I'd have to come to Mount Shasta myself, take the map with me, and actually find this property and start to do my own expedition in a 10-mile radius of this property because I believe that if I was right, I would find the backdoor tellers just like they did by accident in 1904 and, and then opening and going in in 1907. Mm -hmm. So as far as your... Did you have uh, other people on this expedition with you, or did you do it solo? Well, I did it with one other person. His name is Eric Fidman, and uh, mm -hmm. he's my, my guy uh, up here in Shasta. And uh, when I first got up here, which is interesting, <clears throat> I, I went to the college to uh, start doing some research, and uh, I met Eric Fidman in the process. I told him what I was doing. Next thing you know, I'm lecturing at the, the college here in Shasta, the COS College, and uh, started doing a lecture in town, and at that point, I had told the audience that I believe that I'm going to find this back door, but now that I'm here, I'm going to tell you the first part of legend, but now I, here's what I've discovered on paper, but I'm going to go out and look for it. So a couple of days later, Eric and I, we started going out and exploring certain areas. But there was one piece of information that I held back at that point. I had in November, and you probably know Renee from L.A. and a good friend of mine. I was out with Renee you know, last year in, in November, December. Mm -hmm. And while I was there, uh, someone had sent me an email regarding uh, an unusual basalt rock formation that uh, a father and his daughter had uh, come across uh, while hiking in, in Dunsmuir. And on my website, uh, there's a picture of it. And this unusual rock formation uh, was... Uh, struck my interest because in the body of this email that I was sent, the man uh, who uh, went by the name of Brad claimed that while he and his daughter were taking photos of this unusual rock formation, a man appeared out of nowhere, a very tall man in a robe, speaking in a slight British accent and told them that they had stumbled upon the back entrance of Telos and would they like to come in. Mm -hmm. So... The father and daughter were, and said, where did you come from, to the man? He says, well, I came through this, this door. He points to the rock, and he said, uh, would you like to come in? And they said, well, you know, we don't want to come in. He says, well, then I'd like to swear you both to secrecy. Well, you know how it is when you tell someone, you know, don't, you know, can you keep a secret? They never do. Mm -hmm. So uh, <laughs> he put his story in the Internet, and someone sent me this photo with this story. So when I came here and, and uh, Eric and I were uh, doing expeditions, Eric and I, I told Eric about the story later on. I said, well, I'm going to go to Dunsmuir and see if I can find a resident of Dunsmuir who uh, is an old-timer of the town and see if I can connect uh, the dots and see who this man Brad is. So in his uh, email, it said that he was related to the Van Fossen family of Dunsmuir. So he was a relation, too. So the first clue I had was possibly a Van Fossen. So I went down and I met with someone in town who happened to know Brad and told me Brad's 
last name is not Van Foss, and gave me his last name and also told me what his email and phone number was. So at that point, I had my friend contact uh, Brad and just to validate his, uh, his email and his photo and his claim, and we got an email back. Uh, this is uh, the end of May, May 28th of this year, and the email we got back was, yes, uh, the incident did happen, and this, these doors close off lava tunnels that lead from Mount Shasta, and they supply the water now, and the wall's been sealed off, and now the, the lava tubes now are piped, and the water is being used to supply the city of Dunsmere all their water. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, they uh, so they sealed off they sealed off the 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 doors, I guess. Now, did the did the Inner Earth guys uh, seal it off, or I guess the city did? Well, the city did. The city did. It's yeah. on private property, and uh, okay, <clears throat> and uh, they sealed it off. And that's one of the reasons why this secret has remained secret for as long as it has. But the interesting thing is. In the legend of J.C. Brown, he claimed that from that spot to where he found the underground civilization on the Mount Shasta is 11 miles and 2,300 feet. From this spot is exactly 11 miles from mm-hmm. Mount Shasta. So it's uncanny that, you know, uh, in an easterly direction that X marks the spot, and from there, you know, it leads directly to where Shasta was. Yeah, you should uh, uh, get yourself a little white hat and put EPA on it and just say, hey, we're here to inspect the water. There's been a, a spill up top, you know, and uh, we, have to get, we have to get into the cave. Uh, this cave has to be opened up, you know, to check out the ground pollution. You know, who knows? You might be able to pull it off. <laughs> well, stranger things have happened, but the interesting thing is upon realizing this, I'd gone back on the second time to go back up there, and someone went and took foam seal and, and sealed off uh, the left door, you know, because the right door is used uh, for the water company to go in there and uh, if something happens to the water to uh, fix the piping or uh, mm-hmm. to do whatever maintenance that they have. But the left door was interesting enough. They put another lock on it, and they, uh, they sealed it tight with foam seal, you know, so that way somebody couldn't go in there. So I found that kind of interesting, you know, the before photo and the after photo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, whoops, I dropped a piece of dynamite. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it's bad. You know, it's it's funny how, uh, you know, sometimes people will be sitting on a a gold mine of knowledge or other information they could be accessing, and they they always settle for some lesser, you know, program going on and seal it off and keep it away from the rest of humanity. Well, you're exactly right. What was interesting on this rock formation, they were... uh symbols or symbolisms, old uh, carvings on there that uh, weren't done by Native Americans. So I was able to see some interesting uh, figures there. Uh, I guess you call them petroglyphs. And uh, mm-hmm. I was told by someone that, you know, if touched in the right right area on these petroglyphs, that, that a monolithic stone would come out in the front of where uh, this rock formation sits. So we tried and uh, wasn't able to do that. But I was told that uh, basically... <clears throat> this back entrance has been sealed pretty good, and the only way to really, you know, get in that is if you were to, you know, dynamite the whole that whole rock formation. But there are other rock formations in that proximity that do exist that will lead under because uh, in the Dunsmere area there are many uh, cavernous uh, tunnels that lead back to Shasta because all the water in that area uh, comes from Shasta. Shasta supplies the Mosprey Falls and all 
all the mm-hmm. waters that come down from, from the mountains. So there probably could be, you know, 50 tunnels. But what I've noticed while going uh, tunnel hunting, I'll, I'll call it, or tunnel expeditions, uh, a lot of these tunnels that I've found have now been uh, tied off with railroad bars so you can't get in there. And it was interesting, two of the people I brought out with me in another tunnel said to me, well, Stephen, this wasn't here before you got here in April. They just did this. <laughs> so it was interesting. I said, well, they must have known that was coming. But in the process of that, I've had a couple of people that try to take me on wild goose chases, I guess. Uh, yeah. So I wouldn't have made this phone call today, but I was smart enough to follow spirit and, you know, not be guided uh, off uh, into, uh, I guess, Alice in Wonderland's, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, hole. Yeah, it gets kind of crazy when you start mentioning gold or artifacts or, or anything of any, you know, major value. It seems like, you know, you get all kinds of nutcases involved and, and uh, people of, uh, let's say, a, a less than integrous nature. Well, that's exactly right. So at this point, I'm very guarded in, in uh, who I speak with. And, uh, you know, I vibrate, I vibrate to a high vibration to begin with, so, you know, like minds unite, so I'm pretty much, I can pretty much deal with dense energy and know exactly where it comes from and mm-hmm. be able to, you know, move away from it as quickly as possible because I realize that, you know, you know, uh, I'm going to elevate my spirit and what, I, what I'm a seeker of is the truth and sometimes the truth can get us in trouble because there are people that, as you well know, that have had it their way for 2,000 years or more and do not want the truth to be told because if the truth is told, then they'll lose control of what they've had for so many thousands of years. Mm-hmm. <coughs> yeah, that does seem to be a reoccurring theme. And, uh, you know, especially with this, especially in the field of ufology, I've, I've never seen anything like it. They eat their young in that field, you know. And, <laughs> and uh, it's so infiltrated. Uh, even Art Bell said that. But uh, it's so uh, infiltrated right now with people of a dubious nature or people that want to keep, you know, the back industry, um, the war industry going, all the back engineering going and things like that, that uh, it just seems to be a military takeover. And, and you, you look at a lot of the people on the boards now or on radio shows and things, and, you know, they're ex-military or ex-Navy, and, and they're the ones that actually fund the black project. So to, to you know, things like BBS radio and, and other avenues, there's just a few vestiges of truth out there that are still you know, asking the hard questions and delivering the information and, and uh, really getting the, the truth out concerning these, these uh, I guess, what would you call those? You would not call them extraterrestrials, maybe intraterrestrials, or I don't know. Our brothers Our, and sisters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was thinking that's much easier. Well, yeah, like, keep it uh, simple. I mean, you know, because through the course of my investigations, you know, there are possibilities, there are probabilities, and then mm-hmm. there are certainties. I like to talk about some certainties, mm-hmm. and the certainty is this. On this planet, for over 300 million years, man has been on this planet. We've had civilizations crop up, and we've had civilizations crumble. We have dinosaurs have existed, and man has existed at the same time. Dinosaurs have died out, and man has continued to exist. And I will cite something here in California, in the... Uh, 1866, there was a skull. It was found. It was called the Calaveras skull. And some of you, I'll tell you where to look afterwards where you can find this information. Michael Crema also talks about it as well. Mm-hmm. There was a skull found that was determined to be below the uh, the bedrock, uh, below the ice age, the, the marks of the ice age, and to make it 
you know, plain and simple. This uh, man determined that this skull was over 50 million years old and was of Native American indigenous, you know, uh, nature, and it was, you know, civilized man, modern man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was debunked. Uh, he had eight other Harvard professors from the Geological Survey of California and Harvard as well in, um, on the East Coast claimed that his findings were correct. They agreed that this was the oldest known skull that was found in North America. Two years later, he was discredited, and they tried to make a laughing stock of him, yet you know, his professors uh, said that you know, his, his, everything was on point, and his wife and his daughter mysteriously died. Uh, another thing I like to cite was uh, in 1951, and Renee, Renee, who you know very well, uh, yes. brought, to, brought to my attention a book. It was by Vine Deloria Jr. called uh, Red Earth, White Lies. And in this book, Dr. Lee, a uh, Canadian uh, person who worked for uh, the museum in Ontario, unearthed a, uh, a find that was anywhere, he dated it from anywhere from 30,000 to 100,000 thousand years old, which was, uh, there were four groups of people that he found. He found uh, the, the uh, Salish, the Sioux, the Algonquin, and what he called the bearded white man. And this was about 40, 100,000 years ago. They were up in, in northern Ontario before the Ice Age, and at the end of the Ice Age, they came down to uh, North America. The Salish came to the West Coast, the, the Sioux came to the Plains States, and the Algonquin came to the East Coast, and the bearded white man went up to Scandinavia and worked their way to Western uh, Europe. Now, the interesting part about this is the bearded white men, their aggressive tendency, because they couldn't live with the Indians. So what did they do? They went to uh, Scandinavia and uh, Western uh, Europe, and they, they killed the rest of the Neanderthal men. So it's interesting mm-hmm. to see that the reason why there's no missing link is because we did not evolve from an ape. You know, never have, never will. It doesn't make sense. Darwinism is about as bogus as to believe the Bering Strait theory that 12,000 years ago that man came across the Bering Strait from China, came across, went across six mountainous ranges through Alaska, brought with him plants, flowers, animals, and that way of life to North America. I mean, that's got to be a very hard concept to believe. I mean, to really be this dumbed down, mm-hmm. you've got to get everybody to be watching American Idol, you've got to watch Jeopardy, or to be watching soap operas and, you know, uh, rooting for your, your favorite sports team. I mean, wake up, America, because it didn't happen that way. Yeah, well, maybe a, a massive tornado picked them up and then bailed some hay underneath them and dropped them perfectly right on top of it and uh, you know that's kind of what they do I, i've never seen anything like it to to support their theories and these old programs they come up with the most cockamamie things i've ever heard and and people buy it well i'm waiting for you know bill i'll call him bill lie the science guy to, to debunk me because you know, you've got people that in these institutions that have these you know these positions and titles and their job is to be debunkers Mm-hmm. And if they can't debunk you, they'll discredit you. And if that if that doesn't happen, you know, you better have a bodyguard because they'll try to get rid of you. So, I mean, this, this yeah. is the method and the way they operate. And uh, so I'm aware of what they're doing. But the thing is, people need to wake up to the facts because when you go to a library, the reason why they call it a library, James, because L-I-E, it's a <laughs> library. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I, I have no... Uh, argument there. I, it's 
you know, they say history is his story. You know, what about her story? And the one who wrote the story is used the victor in whatever war went on. So uh, uh, we're we're really never getting the whole truth, or we're usually only getting one side, and it's usually uh, very biased one way or the other. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, just to know that, you know, civilizations have come and gone. I mean, I could cite one thing very interesting. You could look up in the skies or you do astronomy. You've got an asteroid belt. You know, it looks like a planet that was disintegrated. Mm -hmm. I've got news for you. It was. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it was. You know. And, uh, and uh, there's a lot of ancient history that's written about that that they don't want to talk about. That, exactly. That, if you, you go know. back to the Vedic history, if you, if you follow Vedic history, you'd see the story is right there. It's in plain sight, but, you know, they won't recognize that. And one of the things the British have done through the years through their, I would say, their um, barbarization, colonization, and Christianization is try to hide the truth for the evolution of this planet. And it's about time that we mm -hmm. slap them on the wrist and say, you know what, we're not taking it anymore. You know, we are not ruled by you anymore, and it's time that we're all going to wake up. Yeah, and I know I'm familiar with Michael Cremo's work, which is amazing. Where they're finding diodes and and uh, you know ornate jewelry and things 50 million years old. It's just unbelievable. So you know, I don't think some Neanderthal guy all of a sudden had a vision and decided to uh, create a spark plug or uh, you know fashion a very ornate piece of jewelry. Uh, it it just doesn't add up. No, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, James, it's probably a duck. Yeah. Yeah, we have that same problem here. Uh, I mean, we <laughs> it's so funny watching people try to invalidate what's happening here. And, and, you know, you see this big ship come in, it powers up, throws off all this wonderful violet or purple energy, uh, just gets massive, makes a nice turn and takes off. And... Uh, uh, you know, and we have these people that just saw that, and they go, oh, no, that was a satellite. You know, that was an iridium flare, or that was, you know. And we go, it dropped down on us, powered up, and made a turn, you know, made a right-angle turn and split, you know. Well, what? Uh, yeah, well, the problem was, James, it's not like, you know, like with, with the movie The Gods Are Crazy, it wasn't like the Coke bottle almost hit him on the head. See, if it almost hit him on the head, then they was, oh, well, you know what? You know, it's got to be true. It just hit me on the head, so... <laughs> Speaking of your ranch there, and because uh, I was there last year, as you, you remember, and uh, uh -huh. I've been privy to seeing things that I cannot explain. And when asked about it, and when, when I share with people, you know, and I tell them, seeing is believing. I've seen some things in your ranch that, you know, now that you brought it up, you know, I'll go public. What I've seen that defy conventional logic. It, it doesn't look like anything that our government has at this time that I've seen flying, you know over your property. So it's my belief that there's a portal over your property that allows everyone there to see ships power up and see some amazing things, to see orbs and all the other things that have been cited and testified from people who, you know, have no reason to come up to your ranch to, you know, to say that, you know, this, this, this is true if it didn't happen because, you know, if you see something, you say something, and, you know, you stand behind it. And I don't think, you know, it takes a lot of energy to lie on a regular basis and remember that lie. So I, and I've met many people uh, since I've been on your ranch uh, last year all over the country that have told me that they've seen the similar things that, that I've seen. So every one of us, you know, have, you know, have the same experiences on your ranch. And I would encourage anyone listening to this broadcast today, if they really want to understand the past 
to know where they are in the present, to see where the future is going, that they come up to your ranch and actually see that we are not alone, we are all connected, and everything, James, that happens on this planet, you and I, whatever we say, we put out there in the ethers, we affect not only this planet, but every planet in the universe, and there are people that are waiting for us to evolve, to take us to the next level, and mm -hmm. as a result of this, there are other people, the controllers, that don't want this to happen because they know that if we were to wake up now, then the world as they know it will perish. Yeah, goodbye enslavement through dependency and, on, you know, all the other programs they have running. Well, but, the uh, programs that they have running right now are, I'm going to tell you something interesting. Me and you mentioned programs running. Uh, Robert Bork, uh, the old, I guess, uh, Supreme Court Justice, was asked if there's anybody in prison is everybody's, why is everybody in prison? Or you know, And he basically said that the only people that are in prison are prison because of their own consent and, and their own you know, uh, acceptance of it. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And then I thought a little further, well, why is he saying that? Well, in 1933, when this country went bankrupt and we gave away every American's right to freedom, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and then sold it off to the Federal Reserve Bank, who was a private company, and then they, in turn, you know, created a corporate names for us to live under as, like, to straw men, so that way they can tax us, our birth certificates, our titles, everything, so that way they can own us. I realized that if we do not consent to, if we do not agree to, and we say you have breached our rights as American citizens, free sovereign citizens, then everything you say and do is not accepted in the court of law because I don't identify with that individual that you say that I am because I am not that being and you breached our contract and therefore you have no authority on me whatsoever. Be gone. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you know what I've seen is uh, on paper, you know, that's all accurate. And uh, But boy, to stand up against this, this scene, I mean, I had some run-ins myself and, and I was just blown away at the lack of justice, the lack of integrity you know, within the system and how they break their own rules. And it seems like it, what it all boils down to is whatever that judge wants to do, he's going to do. And if you don't have a heck of a lot of money and, and if you don't play golf with another judge that's a little more powerful, you're going to be, you know, be sitting behind bars or, or uh, well, uh, peeling that, potatoes that, somewhere. That was true up until a couple of years ago. There's a website called TalkShoe.com where if anybody's interested in, in sovereignty that they can go to, I'm plugging in right now because uh, I'm looking at this very seriously because I, I learned an old Jewish slogan years ago. If you really want to hurt somebody, you, you figure a way to stop the money flow or take their money. Mm -hmm. So in order to change this system that we have now, you've got to break the bank. It's like going to the casinos. You'll never win at the casinos because they hold the money, they hold the cards. So these, these money changers who hold the cards, they have an illegal system. And I, I, I challenge anyone here who wants to change this to go to TalkShoe.com and learn for themselves. And in the next couple of months, I'll be putting together some videos uh, where they can go to, and we'll cite cases and we'll show why you are more powerful than they, because they have no power because of what happened in 1933. Because, James, I've never met a person who's ever went to their court who's won. You get their lawyers, you play their game, mm -hmm. and then they say to you, uh, you have to accept this sentence. You know, you yeah. have to plea bargain. Wait a minute. If the deck is fairly unstacked against you when you come in, just the fact that you have to go into court, you cannot win. Mm -hmm. 
And there's a lot of things, as I said, I'll go into later on, and the people, I'll leave my email address for people to understand this, because I'm taking this to another direction, because as a result of me finding out the legend of J.C. Brown, I've had a lot of things happen to me personally because of my belief in, uh, you know, uh, the truth. And as a result, I've learned that, you know, in order to, to know where you're going, you have to understand the path and actually see who's controlling the process. Now that I know who's controlling the process, I can now take them out of the process with the help of others that who want to listen because the mind's like a parachute, James. You can only learn if you listen. You know, right now I'm going to tell everybody in your audience right now, if you haven't seen The Matrix, go see The Matrix after my statement. Mm -hmm. uh, Neo is offered by Morpheus or either a red or a blue pill. And he tells him, if you take the blue pill, you'll wake up tomorrow morning and nothing will change, your life will be normal. But if you take the red pill, your life will change forever. Well, most of your listeners here listening today have taken the red pill because they realize that they know they've been asleep. It's time that they wake up. And there are people knowing are listening here tonight knowing that I am right. You know, because we're not in Kansas anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, this situation in two years when this shift takes place or whatever's going to happen, you know, I, there's a saying I have, some will, some won't, so what next? Well, the so what next, I like to, to change and say that if we all now raise our consciousness and go into the love vibration in our hearts and listen from our heart to go to our, 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 our head, our mind chakra, You'll get the information. The, the information will come, and you'll realize that you always had the information. You came in here knowing, and all you have to do is follow your intuition. You know, you know, uh, listen to the, you know, go inside, listen to the, to, to, to the heart. You know, forget about the outside world. You know, forget about the chatter. Go to the heart of the matter, and you realize that you're going to vibrate to people who have the answers. And what I'm mm -hmm. telling everyone here today is, yes, we both know there are things out there in the sky that, we can't explain. You know, there are people right now sitting there on the field there that I'll say hello to right now and some <laughs> I might know. And uh, they know in a couple of minutes when this interview is over, they will see something amazing tonight. And, uh, and my heart goes out with them because I know that we are not alone and that there are people that are trying to stop this information. And I'm glad that there's a place like BBS. I'm glad there's a place like your ranch. And I'm glad there are people like yourself that have the courage, because it takes courage to stand up, mm -hmm. to do what you do, or, or to speak out for that matter. But what they're going to come to realize is there's more of us than there is of them. You know, that, that is the bottom line. You know, where, where are we at? Seven and a half billion people. You know, what is that, you know, up against 13 families? You know, Exactly. <laughs> so. Well, the way I look at it, you know, I saw a man get elected in 2008, Obama. And he had a million people, two million people, supposedly march on Washington. And mm -hmm. I thought about it. We have 7 billion, billion people on the planet. My goal is to have 100 billion women and men march on all state governments and take back their rightful free sovereignty. That's the kind of, and I call that a soft parade because I believe in peaceful demonstration because mm -hmm. presentation without demonstration is only conversation. So I would lead that procession. You know, because the problem in this country right now, you have people that are Pollyannas. They don't want to die for a cause. I would die for the cause to take back the country that I love. Mm -hmm. I know there's uh, probably a lot of military people will agree with you, and it, it seems like, you know, that group is pretty much split as far as, you know, they swore an oath to defend the Constitution. And and I'm, I'm seeing a major uh, 
uprising, you might say, even within police departments and the military and everybody, and they're forming groups and saying, you know, we are not going to turn on the American people. We are not going to enforce these illegal plans and uh, these Illuminati programs. And, you know, I'm seeing a major uprising right now, and it, it, it does seem like people are waking up, and, and some of the statistics on these flu shots, they, they said up to 90% of the people are saying, we are not going to get that shot, and this whole thing is contrived. And the, and you know, they know that uh, the uh, the these viruses are actually man-made and released. And there's people making a hell of a lot of money on 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 these programs. And you know, like we said before, just follow the money. So, but I've seen, you know, they said well over 60 percent of the nurses said they will not get the shot, and they and some said they will not even administer it. Well, one of the interesting so, things, I just did a YouTube video called Swine Flu Reveal the other day. It's on my YouTube site, which I'll, when you give it a chance when we're done, yeah, I'll mention it. But basically, Baxter International is a company that was given the contract to uh, make this deadly poison, I'll call it. And luckily, in uh, Czechoslovakia, they tested it on hamsters, and it killed the animals. And then they said, wait a minute, you gave us this bad batch. But all the batch was tainted, so knowingly, this company had shipped out, you know, all this swine flu, you know, injections for people to start killing them all over the planet. So, I mean, this is uh, orchestrated by a devious bunch. Yeah, I think that's called murder, isn't it? I would think so, yeah. <laughs> you know, knowing, you know, premeditated, knowing this is going to happen, uh, that seems, you know, to me to fit in the premeditated murder category. And, and uh, maybe something ought to be done about that. Well, I agree, and you know something is going to be done because there are people like myself and you who are who are bringing it out there, and I will say to people, you know what? Challenge everything that I say. Please do, because maybe mm -hmm. you'll see that there are a lot of truths out there that you, because life is good all the time, so to speak, don't want to open your eyes to what's around you because it's really happening. And though it may not be happening to you, but when it does, at that point, it'll be too late because you'll have already been sucked into the vortex of, uh, you know, being a contented cow. See, I, on the other hand, was taken out of the, uh, the box. I was taken out of the paradigm, so I was forced to think. And for, being forced to think was a good thing because it allowed me to learn what's really, really going on. So I, I'm thankful that I don't follow my favorite sports team. I'm thankful that I don't watch American Idol. I'm thankful that I don't buy into the morning, noon, and the 6 o'clock news to buy into the rhetoric and the censorship. Yeah, it's uh, it's getting kind of crazy. You know, something just happened here, which I thought was amazing, but actually Fox News came out and brought a crew and filmed some amazing ships. But what was interesting is we gave them just undeniable footage of the door opening here on Mount Adams, uh, you know, all these energies coming out of it. Uh, we had massive ships coming in, powering up, you know, three in a row, three all together in a row, triangles. Uh, just some amazing footage, and, and they just showed a couple that spun across like meteors and saying, well, these they did come, and these are the ships, but then they brought a uh, debunker on, you know, as usual, who says, oh, this is nothing more than a meteor or a satellite, and, you know, we have these objects landing on the mountain and morphing from one to three, and, and tell me a meteor or a satellite, but, uh, uh, you know, they the guy says, well, this could be the space shuttle, and... You know, how do they, they don't even question the debunker saying, well, how did the space shuttle land on Mount Adam and morph from one to three? <laughs> uh, 
you know, they don't ask those questions. They just let these debunkers run. Well, I never see anything like it, but they, they did give me a shot, the last shot at it, and after he went through his debunking thing, I showed that we do have Heavens Above and J-Tracker here. We're using their data showing these are not satellites, and uh, they're, they're definitely unknowns. And, and so they did do a very fair piece on that end, but I, I never ceases to amaze me when you give them this just phenomenal footage. They just don't use it. Well, you know, when you understand that only six companies own all the TV, radio, newspapers, and Internet sites around the world, it's pretty easy to understand that censorship is a piece of cake for these individuals. Oh, yeah. And if they were serious about getting to the truth, I mean, they they were just handed it. It was put right in their hand. Look, here here's the undeniable evidence that these things are UFOs. They're unidentified flying objects. We don't have things that can do that. Well, uh, you know, give me some other reason. And I'm sure this is just the tip of the iceberg because every day they're probably handed, handed, you know, cures for cancer. They're handed fuelless energy technologies. They're handed all kinds of stories, which they don't really do justice. Well, there is a cure for, for cancer out there. There are a cure for many, many diseases. But pharmaceutical companies make a lot of money because, you know, they, they, they pay all these politicians' money, they have lobbyists uh, there uh, handing them things and feeding them, you know, like as if they're giving them candy. So, you know, they're going to have it their way uh, because, you know, part of the word control is con. You have to be con. And mm -hmm. if you're con, then you become a troll. Then, you know, you walk around, you know, like a zombie. So, you know, if they can't con you, then they can't control you. So uh, th that's the big thing because if you think about it, all religions, you know, are based on the golden rule. And they all are based on a, probably a 10,500-year timeline. And this is what they want. When you show UFOs or civilizations that have been here for millions of years, you know, that do have a spiritual, you know, uh, you know essence in nature because they came here in, in a spiritual form. You know, the first form of communication was, was telepathic. Mm -hmm. The second form became uh, symbolism. And the third form was uh, verbal. And I, and, I, and I believe when it came to the third form of verbal, it was pretty much the fall of man because now you went from a spiritual being to a, uh, a being that was more carnal and you were more of a, in a human nature. But we, and so pretty much we, we de-evolved, is, is yeah. my, my opinion. And once we de-evolved, the only thing that they could do was create a, a theosophical religious type of agenda, giving people religions to, to, be, to believe blindly and using that as their platform to be able to say, okay, now we have the sheep, now we can control the sheep, and we'll give anybody who wants a permit for a, you know, for a church or religious organization under one precept, that you, you tell people to believe blindly and things will come to pass. Mm -hmm. So if what people are seeing above your sky tonight shows that there is an intelligent life, there's an intelligent life for over 10,500 years, that that supreme energy or that force or that entity that's out there is our brother, might hold the key to, you know, the universe. And this is their problem, and that's why they'd rather shoot them down than to have them to coexist with them, because then they would have to share the power or give up the power, or we would not follow along like sheep any longer. Yeah, you know, exactly. What, you know, what would happen if a group came and landed here and they said, hey, 
uh, we transcended all disease and here's the keys. Or, you know, or if they landed again and said, hey, guess what? We've got fuelless energy, uh, anti-gravity, and we have counter-gravity, so you can go several thousand miles an hour without fuel and without tires, and uh, and you can build a, a ship here that's pretty simple, but uh, it's going to last forever. There's no planned obsolescence, you know. And, uh, you know, so... So basically, you'd have the pharmaceutical companies saying, "Let's kill these guys." You know, <laughs> you'd have the uh, oil industry saying, "Let's get rid of these guys." You know, and oh. you know, what if their message was all about, you know, universal peace and brother sister love and time to clean up our consciousness and environment and move to the next level? Uh, then the war industry would say, "Wait a second, these guys have got to go. These guys are bad for business." You know, so peace oh. is very bad for business. Well, one you know, of the so, things that I've noticed, James, is that. The world can only continue in the form that it's in if you allow people to continue to create conflict. Because there always has mm-hmm. to be a conflict in this country to have our sons and daughters go to war. And that's why, oh, they, yeah. that's why they can have a national emergency. That's why they can say we invoke this executive order because they need to have a conflict. And without a conflict, then the capital society can't exist and they can't control interest rates up or down, mortgages, and so on and so forth. Because they have to create the illusion that there's something bad happening all over the world. Yeah, and it's, and it's coming after us. Right. Now, you if know, you so. and I went to Europe, we would be considered the ugly American, yet we're not the one going over there and creating all these wars. We're not the one trained by other countries coming here to our bases to learn terrorist tactics, then being sent back there to be the bad guys and appear that mm-hmm. they are you know, Muslim or appear that they're whatever. They're not who... People think that they are, and people here need to wake up because there are things that happen on our own soil that defy logic that happened in the last 10 years, and you know what I'm talking about, Oh yeah. do not make sense. And I tell anyone, you know, I had someone say to me the other day about, you know, 9-11, whatever, you know, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Like, and I was talking to Renee, matter of fact, about this, and she says, you know, when you want to grow up, what do you want to be? I said, well, it was either an architect, a doctor, or uh, the president. I said, but... Uh, I didn't, you know, say I aspired to be a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> I said, but the day <laughs> yeah. I went to school, James, and I was uh-huh. 10 years old, and the teacher said at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, by the way, uh, President Kennedy's just been shot. And I go home crying because I was affected by it. My grandfather says, not the way you think it is. And later on, later on to find out, that, you know what, my grandfather, other Americans were right, that we had a president taken out in broad daylight, you know, in an executive action, and nobody did a damn thing about it. Yep, yeah. It seems to be a common occurrence, but I, I, I really do believe that a lot of this stuff is all coming to the surface and, and it will be exposed in the days to come and hopefully people will find some backbone. You know, unfortunately we're out of time. Uh, I mean, this is a whole new subject we can get into. I, I agree 100% with this 911 thing. There is no way those buildings could have come down, uh, the way they said, said they did. It's, it's, if you talk to any, architect will tell you that that's just impossible that story holds no water whatsoever you know and finding thermite and all these other uh the evidence there that you know the firemen even saying that the building was pulled you know all of them and then you got building seven you know that nothing hit it why did it go down you know and and they actually claimed it went down before it went down so they got busted on there their scenario was they jumped the gun on the uh, scenario but uh 
But anyway, unfortunately, we are out of time. Uh, we could probably go into this on some other show. I'll just have to get a hold of you and bring you back on the air. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. And unfortunately, we're going to have to sign up. So this is James Gill with As You Wish Talk Radio signing off. Have a great evening and spend some time outside and watch the skies because there's a lot going on up there that some people don't want you to know about. Anyway, have a great evening. Good night.